Sunday afternoon's vomit tinge performance in the Northeast. Welcome to Red Voices, I guess. <laughs> you and Rich and James here to collectively mull over a mildly disturbing defeat against Newcastle that leaves United needing to butt their ideas up a bit with the top four pack below closing in. James, how was your weekend other than that turd of a game? Yeah, pretty good, thank you. Um, yeah, good to be back on, but um, I think it's the first one I've done after a mega defeat, so it uh, should be interesting. Oh, so it's your fault then? Yeah, absolutely. Blame me completely, hundred percent. Rich, I'm get how how much responsibility are you willing to take for today? I, I'm willing to take all the responsibility. You and I know that I'm an old hat at this post garbage constructive criticism thing. I mean, a certain degree, yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, you you've got previous on these sort of occasions, so maybe we'll True. start with James because this is the first time he's actually been involved with us on the eve of a defeat. Yeah. So, James, you have the floor. What, what do you what are your thoughts and feelings? Paint me a word picture. Very difficult. Um. It's sort of a strange inevitability. I think after about 10 minutes, you could see, you can usually judge in how good it's going to be after that sort of length of time. And it just felt, just felt something bad was going to happen. Newcastle are, they've looked pretty poor all season and they look pretty poor today. And you just thought, well, yeah, this sh- should be straightforward, but it just was just so slow, so ponderous, no creativity. And the longer that second half went on, you could just see that there was going to be the sting in the tail. And then it came and then, there was no confidence that there was ever going to be a goal and the last 10 minutes it was just like, you know, fair enough, it, it did come close a couple of times, but there was no real confidence that um, we were going to score and certainly not not score the two goals to, to get the win. So just really disappointing and um, you've got to move on quickly, I suppose. Rich, percentage of surprise for today, please. 5% max. I think when, when we, if we, anal- when, when we analyse this in a bit more depth, it's frustrating because they're just the same the same things, the same mistakes that we've made in the past and over and over again. To a degree, we've got away with it this season. We've won a lot of games we perhaps shouldn't have won. It's kind of t- games like this that remind us that we're not perhaps where we hoped we'd be at the moment. And the wider question is, is, is Mourinho still capable of getting us there? Oh, Rich, you've gone off the deep end. I don't know. Well, no, I mean, I, I firmly have the opinion that we've we've definitely improved on, on last year, which I think was the minimum that we need to do this year. And... I certainly would wouldn't damn Mourinho until the end of his three year this the sort of three year cycle of his. I just think I just think there are some warning signs that things aren't quite aren't quite gelling as we as we like, and he just makes some decisions that are just a bit erratic and and strange, difficult to understand, and that's just that. I mean, you know, people a few few journalists who are writing pieces saying suggesting that Mourinho perhaps wasn't the the manager he was before, or more that his his style of management and his tactical framework perhaps hasn't quite adapted to changes in the last few years in in the Premier League um I guess the I guess the challenge for him now is to look at these games or, or perhaps look back at this season when we get to the end and think you know these things happen for a reason what was it and what can I do to to make it better again next year I, I think just at the moment questions and frustrations but not not any damning conclusions Okay, I mean, that was fairly measured for you, so well done. I'm going to give you several cookies for that. Good job. I just started, don't I? <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Believe me, I know. Um, but let's, because uh, we haven't recorded since last Tuesday, let's just head back, as we said we were going to, to have a quick chat about uh, the Munich Air disaster. It was the 60th anniversary on Tuesday, James. And one thing I think that seems to be ringing out consistently over the fan base is just that United, for all their faults, do seem to mark these occasions very well, I guess is the best way of describing it. You know, there's, it's always very poignant the way the club chooses to commemorate the anniversary itself. How did you, how were you feeling on Tuesday? 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You you just get the sense that they know how to do these sort of occasions, you know, get the right sort of tone of it. I think the, they invite the right people in terms of, um, you know, um, Harry Gregg was there and Sir Bobby Child, and it's quite sort of poignant, the two of them together, and they get the right photos and this sort of thing. And you can be cynical and say certain things about it all, but they just sort of handled it well and the, the service sort of, you know, just sort of hit the right notes in terms of the right sort of tone and everything. So, yeah, it's just... It's just one thing the club does very well. It's hard to, very hard day I think for for everyone, and yeah, it's just handled handled really well. And you just you know surprise how quickly it's got got to sixty years. You know, contrary to public sort of belief, I wasn't alive at the uh, at the time of it. But you, this sort of uh, last ten years from that sort of fiftieth game I think we had against City just seems to have gone an absolute flash. And very soon it'll be um, be more more sort of years to commemorate so it's it's good that the club remembers it as well as we do and I think football the general sort of football community looks our way and sort of doffs, like, doffs, doffs the cap almost to say you know we, we do it well so yeah it all passed really really well I thought. Mm. Rich? Yeah I'd agree with that I mean I'm, I'm somebody who really grew up reading deeply into the history of the club and that was kind of the a lot of the appeal for me at the start and so it clearly is one of the most important moments in the in in the club's history it, it's kind of it, it's almost perversely sort of tragic that if that hadn't happened you know it perhaps wouldn't have become the, the 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 club that it that it did over the the next 60 years i think it certainly contributed enormously to that global appeal that the club has but i think if <clears throat> it's very easy for us to perhaps to be a little bit detached from it given that it was before our time but when you when you see people like harry greg and Bobby Charlton at the ceremony, you can see that it's, you know, it clearly still is deeply, this is distressing is the right word, but it's something they'll always live with and it's, it's something that's incredibly important for them. And I just think even if we aren't doing it, even if the club isn't doing it for its immediate self, it's doing it for, it's doing it for them. And I think that's, that's, that's perhaps the most important thing is that we keep, one of the most important things that we demonstrate to those, the survivors that are still here, that we haven't forgotten the loss they suffered. And the where the roots of what the club, the, the what the the way the club developed after that came from, as James said, I think the club d- does do it very very well, and I think it's done it. There's one thing you could say the club's done better in the last few years under under Ed Woodward particularly is that the, the the ceremonial aspect around it has has become a lot more a lot more focused and a lot. Uh, I think I think it's just been it's been better. So yeah, I I think I think I think the club did 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 a really good thing and then I think obviously the United, the United fans that went over to Munich there was obviously a pretty touching ceremony there as well so I think both the clubs and club and the fans uh, and and the city of Munich handled handled that really well. Yeah I'd agree with that I think you hit the nail on the head in the sense that <laughs> given our ages it would be as you said very easy to be detached from it and I think the club still does a very good job of making fans of all ages aware of just how important this is to United as a collection of people you know it is it is a football club and it is a business but it's also made up of people from all around the area and it was for a long time defined by this you know i think that you know munich is is an aspect of united and what this club has come to mean and i think that if you look at the success that we've had in the wake of the tragedy i think it's wonderful that we've been able to take this situation and turn it into you know, fuel to get United back up to the top of wall football. 
And, you know, we've had so many wonderful occasions and great nights and wonderful achievements in those 60 years following. And, you know, it's a testament to the people that recovered. It's a testament to the people that have come in and understand the importance of that. And, you know, people like Sir Bobby Charlton, who are still there at the club, who are so important to have around for, you know, People like Rocco, for instance, were saying, you know, I didn't know much about it beforehand, but you know, you, you, it, it's clear when you're at United how important this is to the club, and I think we still do a great job of respecting it. And it's so nice to see that that's still something now on the 60th anniversary. You know, it's a, such a long time since it's happened, obviously, but at the same time, it's still remembered so, as I said, poignantly, and that's a really encouraging thing, as you said there, about the way that the club currently operates. Speaking of how the club currently operates, segue, segue, segue. Sunday afternoon at St. James's Park, James. I don't really know where to start with that. Did you have reservations and fear with that game once you saw that we were going back to that 4-2-3-1 that really did not do us any favours at Wembley Stadium barely, what, 10 days before? Yeah, it's just, I find it bizarre that um, we went with the same team because it clearly failed, fair enough, against a better team in Spurs, but you... Sort of, you almost feel like he was asking for trouble, Mourinho, putting out the same team and saying, "Look, you know, it's just a blip, and these boys can do it." And you'd expect, you know, that team on paper should beat a team like Newcastle, who basically have had a pretty poorish season, don't look like their particular threat in front of goal. So you can see why perhaps he he went with that team. But you know, it's we all know that we need a three-man midfield. Whether it's even if you play against a poor team, it doesn't mean it's a negative thing. All the well, from what I can see, most of the top teams sort of play a, a three in midfield, even if it's two attackers either side of a of a destroyer like you know City do. It's it's just makes sense, and it'll fits our sort of players better. So, and certainly fits our main man Pogba, which again, you know, his performance today was bizarre, really, from the fact of his you know almost breaking down in the in the warm up, and then to me it looked like he wasn't fit from the first couple of minutes, and he was allowed to sort of stroll through the game and. That must come down to the manager. I mean, the player is going to want to play, but the manager didn't bring him off. But I don't know. I just I don't get that. I don't know if you think uh, you saw the Pogba thing differently to me, Rich, or or not. But it was bizarre to me. Yeah, I, there was a lot about today that was bizarre. I, I reeled off a long list on Twitter, but <laughs> apart from apart from the obvious tactical issue that you, you mentioned and the, and the fact that quite how Mourinho can't see that Pogba can't play in that too um, effectively. I think particularly with Matic as well, because a lot's been made of. Pogba's deficiencies in that position but I think one of the problems we have is that Matic is so immobile as well that he's not able to cover as much ground if, if Pogba's taken out of position so that, that that pairing just doesn't doesn't really work I found it strange that we brought Ashley Young back in for Luke Shaw after Shaw had had a pretty good game against Huddersfield and, and, and clearly benefited Alexis Sanchez having a having a, a left-footed winger um, on that side it preoccupied the, the defensive right hand side a bit better, and Shaw's just been playing much better than than Young because Young was terrible at terrible at Wembley as well. You know, my, my big concern was another big concern was when we signed Alexis Sanchez that we'd immediately take Anthony Martial, who was really playing very well on that left hand side, and push him somewhere else because we had to fit Sanchez in there against both against Spurs and and today that's that's clearly not worked. And Mourinho's ended up chucking Marsh pushing Martial left and. Sanchez more centrally partway through the game anyway I think there were just lots of lots of decisions that were being made at the moment and I agree I completely accept that a lot of the players are not playing well enough but it just seems like we're putting too many square pegs in round holes to try and 
I'm not really sure what the aim is, whether it's just he wants to fit as many of his best players in as he can and he just wants to leave them in any way he can, I don't know. But it doesn't seem to be it doesn't seem to be a, a natural shape to the team. And it, and when we're going forward it does just seem to be a case of giving it to one of the guys up front and just hoping they do something really cool with it. As James said, I think from very early on in the game today, it was clear that Newcastle might didn't necessarily have a great deal of technical quality, but they had industry, and that industry was enough to really knock us off our game. Well, we didn't even get started, really. So there were so many questions, and it was just a re- really another really disappointing day. Yeah, not ideal in any sense of the word. I think the funny thing with Matic is that the initial assumption was that someone like him, with his nous and his ability on the ball and his experience, would be able to open Pogba up more when playing in that midfield too and allow him to roam a little bit more because you'd assume he was going to be quite disciplined. And that's not really the way it's turned out, especially not in these last few months. And you notice that when Carrick came on, Matic actually was a bit more freer to go and do what he wants. So initially, the player that we thought we were getting in Matic, we now need to get someone else to let him do his thing. So we need a player on top of a player in order for Pogba to actually be most effective, which is mad when you think about it. Um, but I mean, you know, the one great thing you can say about Matic is that he set up one of the core key moments of the entire game with a wonderful defence splitting pass for Martial. And love that man. And Rich, I do think you've got a point in the sense that Martial being moved from his preferred position where he's playing well and playing some excellent football probably hasn't helped too much. But he should have scored today. There's mm. just no getting around it. You know, great save by, is it Dubrochka? Uh, down low, uh, wasn't the best of finishes. You're just thinking just, Glide that over him, I'm sure he'll be able to get that in. And then a couple of instances later on where he just banged it seemingly into the same position twice and it was blocked by the same person twice on the line, not too far from the end of the game. But yeah, Martial just didn't have his shooting boots on today. Yeah, Mourinho was talking about him saying he just needed one chance. Normally, you know, he's so deadly in front of goal, so it's just an off day. But today he had several chances and he just couldn't find a way through. Let's talk about the goal, I guess. Chris Smalling, James. What? Yeah, um... I can't remember any other central defender being done for diving. Not that I can remember, certainly um, in my many years of watching football. And um, it was just so obvious, so just needless. And you knew when that sort of comedy moment, everyone was like, you know, you laugh and you think, yeah, defender gets um, booked for diving, have a good laugh at it. Then you think, ah, shit, um, it's a free kick to Newcastle. Something's going to happen. And hey-ho, just a simple long ball in. We don't pick up either the first man or the the second man and it's uh it's just it was just you could see it sort of nailed on problem after problem sort of compounded um by Mr Smalling who to be fair I've I've sort of defended him a lot over the years I think uh, he has got something but yeah, today was you know almost a little last straw for me as as a supporter of his I think you you can cope with one sort of comedy sort of center back in Jones who by and large has been excellent and by and large has has good games but you can't have the two of them together anymore and again it seems perverse Mourinho putting them back in together when they stunk the place out you know at Wembley so therefore they don't deserve to to play again together didn't you know I just don't get that and Rocco Lindelof both sitting on the bench you know Bailly coming back soon god help us um Bailly's clearly number one but can he stay fit but surely you know Rojo and Jones did pretty well last season. Put them in there just to, just I don't know, just just asking for trouble. It just felt like, and I'm fully on board with everybody else's um, Chris Smalling out agenda, and he's off to 
Oft, where would he go to? <laughs> Somewhere like I don't know, Southampton or some Everton. You know, Everton. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Everton. Oh. Him, him and um, yeah, um, good Everton fodder. Yeah. Him and Michael Keane one. getting exposed yeah, every that's week. Good. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you you live for that. I mean, I I agree. I I, I don't understand why when Rocco and Lindelof are available that we went for Smalling and Jones again, as you said, didn't work Wembley. And yeah, Newcastle are not on Spurs' level, but all it took was one chance for that entire game, and the positioning from that free kick was absolutely appalling. You know, they were both just looking around at each other in the aftermath of the goal, watching the watch their body reactions, watch their body language. They're just looking around for someone to blame. And poor De Gea's just stood there thinking, my God, why am I doing this? Because mm. he did an excellent save from John Joe Shelby in the first half that looked destined for the top corner. You know, he had another good game, but they did him no favours there. And I think it speaks about the quality of leadership. Whilst you would say Phil Jones, as you mentioned there, James, has been better this season, you know, back onto a level consistent that we're not necessarily sure that you would be able to reach. This All it just takes is that one flash or two and suddenly they just look schoolboys again, you know, and it's... It's not helpful, and I think in particular that point where they were both just scratching around looking for someone to blame in the aftermath of the goal still speaks to that lack of leadership that we just don't have at the back yet. And I don't know how we get it. I'm still not sure how that's going to happen or whether or not we've got the players to do it. Maybe with Bailly, you know, maybe with Lindelof when he starts playing more because he's really been frozen out over the last couple of months. Maybe it's because we haven't played much European football and we might go back to a 3-5-2 when we play against Sevilla. We'll see, but... Still, it's not necessarily great. And Rocco, for the most part, since Mourinho's come in, has been excellent. So I'm not really sure why we haven't been given him more of an option. Because, you know, he's prone to the odd rash moment. But good grief, he's never dived from John Joe Shelby, giving away a free kick and then played a key part in us conceding a goal. You know, he might nut someone or probably do three horrible scissor challenges in the space of a week and probably miss out on three red cards. But he's never done that yet. I think it's a real problem if you don't you don't trust your new thirty million pound centre back. I don't know whether Mourinho signed Lindelof on faith from his reports from his scouts or or whether it was genuinely a target of his. But but it's been clear from very early on that he perhaps wasn't ready. I, I use ready in an optimistic sense as opposed to completely inappropriate. But that becomes a real problem. I mean, clearly it's not Mourinho's fault that Bai's been injured for so long. But if you buy a centre back, I mean, you know, Mourinho's only bought. Eight or brought in eight players in in four transfer windows, and if you you bear in mind we've had basically had to give one we had to swap one for somebody else because he wasn't really up to it. And Ibrahimovic was a really really short term sort of fit, and he he's clearly not of much use to us now. Then you're you know you're down to to essentially six you brought in, and if you have a guy like Lindelof who you feel you can't use, then the impact that you've made of bringing in better players on a on a team over two years is enormously blunted. If you know, if three of them essentially have been or are now of no use to you, it, it is interesting that without Bailly, I think we're still looking at that back four and thinking, are any of those guys actually really good enough to take us forward? Which is a bit of a worry two years into a new, a new regime. Hmm. It would be nice to know what our best back four is again. And the thing is, everyone made this joke in the lead up to Sunday's game and said, you know, Luke Shaw should stay at the club. He could be, you know, the, the future of United at left back, says Mourinho. So immediately we're all thinking, well, he's going to get dropped and not start on Sunday. Lo and behold, there it is. Yeah. Good grief. I mean, Ashley Young has been great for us mostly this season. Spurs was a stinker, but then who didn't have a stinker against Spurs? But I just think that in these sort of games, in maybe not the bigger games, but I think Mourinho, for all his good intentions with Shaw, 
I do wonder if he just doesn't see him as that starting player just yet. You know, he's still a little bit hesitant to chuck him into those bigger situations. And essentially, there's just no reason not to try it now. There isn't one good reason. You know, Ashley Young hasn't distinguished him enough, himself enough in the last couple of weeks to warrant a position in the starting 11 ahead of Luke Shaw. So I'm not really sure why that's happening. But then again, you know, we've been talking a lot about Mourinho selections, but I do think, again, you know, we need to look at you know, the players out on the pitch and just say that jobs just were not done. You know, the key thing is putting the ball in the back of the net and we didn't do it. And we had quite a few chances to do that thing. You know, Sanchez rounding the keeper and then just taking that extra split second not to hit the ball into the net. I guess it was just bobbling around his feet. But you're just thinking at that point, hit that first time and that's 1-0. And presumably at that stage, almost game over because Newcastle just were not offering anything. Key moments, you know, you, you could say you could almost get away with that formation and that approach in that game had we had our shooting boots on today and it could have been two or three nil and very comfortable, but we didn't. And that was the really key thing. And I think the fact that we've been talking a lot about the approach in the aftermath of that result speaks a lot about how finely poised things are. Almost not on really on a Van Hal level in the sense that we just need to take that one chance that we get because we were just tapping the ball around for 70, 80 minutes and not really doing much with it. And then will we, you know, have that one chance? We have to score it. But I don't know. We're at a point seemingly now with United where we've failed so frequently over the last few years to actually come back from a losing position, especially away from home, that when we go down, there's not a hell of a lot of confidence in us to bring it back, really, is there, James? There's not, is there? And it's, it is a worry that we're, season and a half or nearly two seasons into Mourinho sort of rain and we don't appear to have too much of an identity or a way of playing or a style that you identify us with or you know so even when we're not playing well we can sort of revert to it and keep it tight and then you know maybe nick one on the break it's you know what is our style I don't I don't know what it is it's not counter-attacking it's not even mega defensive because you know although that's his perhaps his natural position or in days gone by has been but we're not even, not, even, not even that. We're not solid defensively. So he's not like he's coaching a you know the centre backs to be really tight and the whole defence to be that good. I know our defensive record is pretty good in, if you look at the number of goals conceded, but we never really look tight and secure as old Mourinho teams did. So um, and we're not ultra ultra attacking and there's no real doesn't seem any plan. You know there were sort of stories last year how Mourinho doesn't coach the forwards and you think well that's a, that can't be right. But more you sort of see what you see and you think well maybe there's something to it and he just lets them get on with it but I don't know I mean just as a positive today and I know others haven't seen it this way but I thought Lukaku was okay I thought he yeah showed signs you know in mm. a in an absolute shitstorm of a match he held the ball up really well did things that people didn't think he could do he should have you know made some good runs he did some good passes and I know we're sort of clutching at straws but I thought he was he was excellent, and he's you can see he's getting frustrated, but he's not getting any service. Where are the crosses, you mm. know, look at Kane yesterday. You know, Kane Kane is brilliant clearly in every aspect, but he thrives off decent decent service as well. And you know, where were the there wasn't one cross for Lukaku today mm. yet. Kane got what three or four. Well, there was one. I think that was the Martial one fairly early on when he burst into the box but Lukaku was on the far side and there were what three defenders between Martial and Lukaku we just couldn't get the ball to him yeah but you're right you know the service just is not there and Spurs are really good at getting the ball to Harry Kane and there's still a sense at the minute that we're still not great at doing that for Lukaku which then shows him up in a couple of other instances but you're right the, the build-up play was again pretty great today you know think about the, another defense splitting pass from an unorthodox circumstance I mean Lukaku is getting better at it so maybe it shouldn't be quite so surprising but you know set Shantej up for one of the best chances of the game 
with a pass that I thought he completely mucked up, but it was really well weighted. You know, he's been doing that enough lately to suggest that it's not necessarily his fault that he's not scoring more goals. He's still getting involved in the build-up. He's not just sat back doing nothing, is he? I think there's a wider question here as well, is that Mourinho spent an enormous amount of money on Pogba and Lukaku. And on the face of it, as isolated signings, you could understand the value of bringing them in and the value that you brought them in for. But if you then take those two guys who cost nearly £100 million each and don't play to to their strength at all, then it makes you sort of wonder what was the thinking behind bring them in in the first place. I mean, as James said, you know, we've seen if you get crosses into Lukaku, he'll score goals. He did against Huddersfield, you know, scored quite a few headers prior, headers prior to that from crossing. And it just seems like we've, as much as Pogba isn't being utilised in the in, in the best way that we, we can use him, Lukaku isn't either. And, it, and in bringing in Sanchez and playing him on the left and sort of pushing Martial out as well, who isn't really a, a traditional winger, you, you're basically saying well, we're not going to cross you at all anyway, unless unless mm. the fullbacks get forward, because Sanchez always, you know, generally comes inside and sort of t- seems to drive towards the middle third of the, the pitch, the middle third of the area. And Martial's to try, essentially trying to do the same thing on the, on the other side. He's not going to kick it past the, the fullback and run around him and cross it. Can I just suggest something, guys? A, a, a lot of the discussion around Pogba... Uh, seemingly especially if you look at James what you posted today from Graham Soonis in the Times seems to be particularly edifying and I think from several pundits you see there's almost like a fundamental mismanagement of how they actually see Pogba and what he actually brings and it's almost like they're watching two different players but if we're going to look at how he's played in these last two away games against Tottenham and Newcastle we can say that he's not played the greatest couple of matches of his United career you know but how so the reason that Mourinho took him off was essentially that he didn't think he was playing well. He wasn't necessarily carrying out instructions or, you know, giving him what he wants. James, how much of that is on Mourinho and how much of that is on Pogba? Is Pogba at fault for this, essentially? Um, no, I don't think so. I think where Pogba's at fault is if he doesn't play very well. That's that's fair enough. That's down to him, down to the individual. But it's up to Mourinho as manager to get the best out of his players. And as Rich said, he's bought... Pogba, he's bought Lukaku without seemingly a plan of how to get the best out of him, which maybe in the summer when we went after Perisic, you saw maybe a, a thing there where we we targeted an out-and-out out sort of left-winger who his crossing stats, from what I could remember, were brilliant, and that was you could see some sort of plan there. Well, Pogba, you know, if you watch Juventus, which I didn't do a lot of, but people tell me that he was he basically played left of a three with plenty of protection behind you know, that was the best. So therefore, that's the position you play him in. Ideally, yeah, you would play him in a midfield too, but the evidence is damning that he can't play in a midfield too, even against the weaker teams, you know, to be to be perfectly honest, because, I don't know, it's it's just it's like it's so obvious to everyone that almost that post that Everton game, that second half, when he played on the left in a midfield three it was brilliant you know the whole team was sort of liberated almost and that was the blueprint for going forward yet we seem to have ditched it again so I don't know I'm with Rich in the fact that this a lot of this goes down to Mourinho and his lack of seemingly a plan or a style or a an influence I don't know same question to Rich see what see what he thinks about it whether it's Pogba or, or Mourinho I think I think there's no doubt that Pogba could be playing better or I don't know whether you know, clearly Mourinho thinks he could follow instructions better but if Mourinho had watched Pogba's career to date closely enough, 
he'd have seen that France tried for a very extended period of time, latterly at the at the last Euros, to to, to use Pogba in midfield two in, in essentially in a forty three one formation. They just could not get you know the best out of him. He really struggled. I mean, he had for France, he has had Conte next to him a, a lot of the time. There's a guy who can get about the pitch a bit more than the Matic can, but the, but they struggled to really get the best out of him going forward. And I think I think whilst that on the left hand side of a midfield three is clearly his preferred position and the position that 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 he can play in the most in the most accomplished way as, as far as i'm concerned if you've got three midfielders then any any of the three midfield slots essentially if he's the most attacking one of those then i think you you'll see the best from him we were talking about uh matic earlier and if you you go back to the season where chelsea where, where we won the title under conte most recently he was essentially playing in a in a sort of deep lying two with Matic and, and Conte was the legs um, and Matic was kind of the more controlled sort of classy get the, get the ball and move it on guy and then you had Fabregas further forward or, or, or a combination of their their attacking players you had that midfield base and that would have been the perfect midfield base for Pogba to to, to build off of you know we've, tr- we've tried to play him as a 10 which doesn't really suit his style because his style is picking up the ball in the middle of the pitch and and driving forward and beating players and and playing um, perceptive passes, he's not as he's not not as effective receiving the ball with his back to goal, turning round and seeing seven or eight players compressed into about ten yards of pitch. The same applies asking him to do stuff dirty work defensively. You're just blunting the best aspects of his game. I mean, it's not it's not a like for like comparison because obviously they they do play they ideally play in different positions. But he, you know you you wouldn't take Meza Özil and and Say, well, I'm going to play you as a, a attacking midfielder in a three, really, because because you know his game isn't picking the ball up on the halfway line and driving forward. His game is picking up the ball in space between the midfield and defence and doing something, uh, you know, creating something from there. And I just think sometimes there are players with particular gifts and particular physical attributes that just make them ideal for a particular role. Fine if you're playing if you if you're buying a younger pog before 10 or 20 million quid or whatever 30 million quid then you can play you can play about with him and it doesn't matter too much if you put him in and take him out if you try different things trying to find where his best point spot is but if you if you buy a 23 24 year old pog for 90 million pounds then you know which is a world record fee then you play the player in the bloody position that he's justified that fee in it doesn't you know he's surely the player you build your team around so you stick him in his best role and then you you buy players to go around him. It doesn't make any sense to me. You know, he's he's twenty twenty four. You know, clearly he's got he's got learning to do. I, I'm sure he could be more disciplined, but for me, he looks frustrated in that that deeper role because he's having to quell his instincts. I think, and when he does push forward, then Matic is just completely exposed, and and it gets noticed because every pundit going, and, and usually Graham soon is first, will say, "Well, where was Pogba?" Hmm. Where was Pogba when they were getting cut to pieces? I mean, it's interesting that they were watching the Spurs game the number of times, not just Pogba, but Matic as well, just completely vacated that central area. And and I think it's highlighted more recently because pa- because Matic isn't playing well. And he's not been playing well for two or three months. And this is a completely different issue, but, you know, it baffled me last week that, that he picked, that Mourinho picked Matic to play against Huddersfield when we know that he's A, been flogged all season and really tired, and B, he's carrying injury. So we've got one, we're slotting in one guy who 
it's not really his thing and it's blunting all of the instincts and the natural talents that he's got and and another guy who's clearly just suffering from being overplayed and injured and if you put those two things together it's no surprise that the midfield just looks a mess when it comes under any any sort of serious pressure you know we just go around in circles but we're coming back to the point that there just seem to be so many players being slotted into positions that aren't getting the best out of their particular talents or aren't the best place for them to be at that particular time Hmm. okay well just to switch it before we round off for the evening uh, i just wanted to add a little bit more sort of i guess balance to current proceedings i think partially because i seemed a bit less ticked off than most of the people on the timeline this afternoon at full time partially because it wasn't too surprising and partially because we lost the game in a season where the league is already long gone you know, 16 points behind City. Don't think we're catching them. But I guess, you know, the, there is certainly an element now that we are very, very firmly in this battle for second, third and fourth now with a Spurs team that's looking pretty decent. Liverpool looking somewhat resurgent. You know, I guess stranger things have happened than Arsenal suddenly having a mini revival with Mbamiang and Mkhitaryan at the fulcrum. But Perhaps not, but still, you know, we are now very much in that battle. But at the same time, you know, we are, as far as I'm aware, still very much in second. The league went some time ago, so I'm not necessarily sure that frustration really is warranted to come back up again. I guess what I'm trying to say is, despite losing to Newcastle, things don't necessarily really seem that bad. Obviously, it's it showed a couple of these symptomatic problems that we've had a couple of times this season and for the last few months. But at the same time, it didn't really strike me as that much of a terrible result, James. You know, in the context of this entire season and where we're going, there's still a lot of good stuff hopefully to come. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're right. There's, you look at the bigger picture and yes, we are still second, but you do have to look that the we had an opportunity, certainly against Spurs, if we'd have won that game. And then obviously today where you'd expect us to win it, to really pull away from those teams and almost cement second and, you know, meaning that it would be a we'd have to have a horrendous last few um, months to to drop out of that top four now you don't yeah well it's uh, some you know you look at it and you they're, they're closing in and they're playing better than us and they have they look like they've got more match winners maybe the likes of Liverpool and Spurs and I don't like saying it but Chelsea you know look shot at the moment but they could soon turn it around you wouldn't be surprised so it is a is a battle to be honest it is going to be a and it, this season could really turn into an absolute real disaster, really, very quickly, because of the games we've got coming up, we've got Chelsea and Liverpool in the next few weeks, I think, in the league. You know, you wouldn't be that surprised if um, if we played a weaker team against Huddersfield in the Cup and, you know, anything could happen. And uh, so, you know, that's looking real doom and gloom. But flip side, a good win on Saturday and we bounce into the next game and, you know, things can turn so quickly and it just feels like we go highs and lows and, but there's, there just hasn't been that, I don't know, complete performance somewhere in that se- in the season to think, well, yeah, we're going to turn a corner and it's going to be a, a long-standing thing till the end of the season. So it's hard to have much confidence. But you know, I still think we are among the top, the top four teams without a doubt. I think second or third is definitely there for us. But we've got to go and prove it. And if we don't, we'll get left behind. And pressure's really going to be on then. But we'll see. Hmm. Rich, I think it can be, it can be dangerous when we've been. We've been relatively comfortable in second for quite a while. You know, we, we'll find, you know, if Chelsea win tomorrow, are they playing tomorrow? It must be tomorrow night, isn't it? Yeah. Against West Brom. I mean, mm-hmm. they're certainly not a given given their current form, but were they to win tomorrow night, you know, it's, it, we're, we're four points above fifth. And I had a really quick scan of the fixtures at, earlier on. Chelsea have certainly got by far the hardest run in 
with any of the four teams, and I, I think they're probably the least equipped for it as well, fingers crossed. <clears throat> but certainly, we've got a lot tougher um, set of games than, than Liverpool and Spurs have, and they're both, at this moment, and I appreciate things can change, playing a lot better than us. They've both got the weaknesses, but I, I don't think we can sit here and say, well, we're not going to win the league, so it doesn't really matter that much, because suddenly we could find, you know, almost like that team, all of a sudden, that one team every year that gets pulled into the, the relegation zone right at the last, when they've been sitting pretty for, for a long time, but just not winning. And that would be absolutely disastrous to not to not make the top, not make the Champions League next year, because that, you know, that does put us in a position where there's absolutely no chance of an Alexis Sanchez saying no to City and yes to us. If if nothing else, I think Chelsea I think Chelsea will struggle to get enough points from their, their last few matches to overtake us even if we struggle a bit. But I don't think we can just take sort of be very, very blase about the league season now because I think there's a there is a long way to go, but there's there's not a great margin for error now. Okay, well, thanks for that down note there, Richard. I was trying to add a bit of positivity to proceedings. Well, it's, just, it's just a note. It's just a note of caution. I mean, I think I, I, I think we're very, very likely to make the Champions League next year, whichever place we finish mm. in. But we we just have to be wary of not letting performance slide today just become the semi norm. Because I think if that happened, then we would, you know, we would find ourselves in trouble. No, I mean, our friend Paul Ansorge was on this very show uh, back in our first season, uh, Van Hal's second and last season, thinking ooh, October, November time, saying. You know, does anyone doubt we're going to get top four? And I feel like saying those words now, given that we've got previous on this podcast of saying that and seeing it all fall apart quite spectacularly, I don't want to set a precedent. So inwardly, I'm feeling moderately confident that we should get top four. Outwardly, I haven't got a f***ing clue. So let's see how that pans out. <laughs> anyway, let's leave it for the evening. Thank you very much for your company, gentlemen. James, always a pleasure. Rich, mostly a pleasure. Cheers. <laughs> Guys, thank you very much for listening as well. Don't forget you can get us all over Twitter. You can get me at you and Lennox. You can get James at writtenoff underscore MUFC. You can get Rich at at richiecan76. And you can get the pod at redvoicesmufc and the blog at www.redvoices.net. Have yourselves a superb week. We'll be back presumably after the first leg of that severe tie. Champions League coming up. Can't wait. Cheerio. Cheerio.